In fact, I think for some men, it may even be more powerful mm-hmm. because they're not having that internal uh, discussion about should I be doing this or should I not be doing this if I'm just reading a book. Right. You know, how bad can this be? Welcome to the Faithful and True Podcast. We're happy to be with you today with our host, Dr. Greg Miller. Greg, great to see you as always. good to be here. And we have a special guest from the Faithful and True team, Elizabeth Griffith. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for joining us. We've got a really interesting uh, subject to discuss today. Uh, We're going to, Elizabeth and uh, Greg are going to be talking about anime or animated pornography and all of the various forms of that, as well as um, the auditory uh, pornography as well. Yeah, kind of the way that this conversation even came up is um, uh, working with clients who are discovering, and, and they're being honest with it, but they're discovering how they can seek out pornography in a variety of different forms and um, many times they are drawn to it because they see it as less than the visual images. Maybe they see it as less um, wrong. Maybe they see it as less powerful. Um, but for those men who find pornography through um, auto, um, uh, downloadable books or podcasts, so there's an auditory component to it, or for um, people who are drawn towards animated pornography, Um, And even um, just recognizing it may not be in the traditional form of images, and it still has power for them. In fact, I think for some men, it may even be more powerful Mm -hmm. because they're not having that internal uh, discussion about should I be doing this or should I not be doing this if I'm just reading a book. Right. You know, how bad can this be? Lots of people are reading these books. I'm not look. I can truly say I did not look at any pornographic images or videos. So I think for some men, it can feel more powerful. And as you and I were talking earlier, as we prepared for this, um, you're able to insert your own fantasies into mm-hmm. it. So if you're listening to a story or reading a pornographic novel, you can insert your own fantasy right. into that, which can be incredibly more powerful than looking at something that maybe doesn't have exactly what your addict brain is looking for at that right. time. You know, one of the patterns that I've seen, I've worked with several men where their first exposure to pornography was through erotica, was through the written word, through a book or a short story or something that they found. And what I see is that continues to be the most powerful form of pornography. And they might have dismissed it, kind of like what you were saying, while I was just reading it, I wasn't looking at anything. And yet what we know is kind of the tracks that are laid down early on in our neurochemistry, um, those continue to be some of the most powerful things that we're drawn back to. And so if you're one of those people that were first exposed to pornography through written word, it would make sense that years later, you're, you find yourself being drawn towards it again. And I think for a lot of uh, the younger men we work with, their first exposure to pornography might have been anime mm-hmm. because that is an incredible world of uh, of 
cartooning that a lot of kids are kind of exposed to early, but once you start into that world, you're going to quickly see pornographic images mm -hmm. as well that are hentai or anime drawings um, that are oftentimes, again, especially powerful because that was your first mm -hmm. intro into the world of pornography. Right. Well, and I, I like what you were saying is that as a little boy, I watched you know, cartoons. I, I was familiar with drawings that were activated and um, I was fascinated by that. But then as I got into adolescence, the first time I stumbled into pornographic animation, I already had an understanding of animation. This was just another layer of it. And it makes sense that I could justify it because it's just a drawing. It's not real people. And I may even minimize it's not that powerful for me but it still fires that old neurochemistry and I'm, I'm drawn to it. The other thing that I think we have real concerns about with anime and hentai is that the drawings are made um, specifically to have very young faces. Mm -hmm. So there's always this childlike wonder, the big eyes, mm -hmm. the big lips, but they look very childlike and they have adult bodies right. and so I think that you know the concern is that that helps boundaries start to collapse mm -hmm. because people start to sexualize a younger looking individual in the face while you know the incongruency of having a fully developed adult body right and the you know one of the things to understand is that childlike appearance represents a sense of innocence and we are drawn to innocence when we ourselves feel so chaotic and maybe so jaded. Right. And so by moving towards this image, even though it's drawn, that portrays innocence, and that's what my brain associates with, then in their innocence, I get to be innocent also. And I hear that story all the time. I never had my innocence as a child, mm -hmm. and they're always looking for that. Mm -hmm. The other thing we're seeing these days is a lot of the like Disney cartoons that have now been turned into pornographic movies mm -hmm. or pornographic images so that you have perhaps... Uh, uh, Cinderella. Cinderella. And, Thank yeah. you. I'm trying to get yeah. back to Ariel. Ariel. Look yes. at you. You know, great. No, I, I know my Disney. <laughs> I just don't know my. Yeah. Uh, but uh, some of those characters that can be, you know, now we're seeing in highly sexualized pornographic material that people feel a connection to the mm -hmm. character because it's what they watched Ariel for, mm -hmm. you know a hundred times that movie as mm -hmm. a six-year-old little boy and now they get to connect with that character through their pornography right and so again it's just an example of that um how our neurochemistry draws us back to what we're comfortable with well you know what may also be true specifically with the animation is it is very overtly a fantasy so there there is no right. reality in it and so it's almost as if in the drawings, I am giving myself permission to acknowledge that this is a fantasy. And the fact that it can purely be a fantasy may be the thing that actually gives it more power. power. You know, the, the thing that in each of these things, whether we're talking about someone who's drawn to erotica and the written word, someone who's drawn to something auditory, a, a downloadable book or um, a podcast, 
or someone that's drawn to animation, the question is always, what causes this to be so powerful? And for some men, they may be using it as a substitute for the traditional images that they would be drawn towards because they see it as less um, uh, wrong. You know, I, I often talk to men about, we have a hierarchy of morality. If I do this, but I don't do this, then it's not as bad. So if I don't look at something, but I listen to something in my hierarchy of morality, that's a better choice. So there are those men that are drawn to these forms of pornography because they see them as less significant than their um, traditional pornography. But what's also true is there are some men, or and this can also be true for women, that you're actually drawn to these types of materials yes. primarily. And it's important for you to understand why this is the type of pornography that is most powerful for you. And oftentimes that is because it was your first exposure mm -hmm. to sexual sexuality or sexualized Content, images. Yeah. yeah. I think for the first group, sometimes the, the group that says, you know, this is less than, it's better, it's part of that grieving process. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's very hard for people who are addicted to pornography uh, to let go of that because it feels like your your warm and fuzzy blanket. Mm -hmm, right. <laughs> it feels like what brings you comfort. And so to quit cold turkey, I think a lot of people try to bargain in that bargaining stage of the grieving process to like, well, I won't do that because that's really bad, but mm -hmm. this won't be quite as bad. And this will, you know, help me eventually stop altogether or maybe I'll just keep doing this because this doesn't feel as bad to me. So I think, you know, it's oftentimes how people convince themselves that they can still have a little piece of the high, right. a little piece of the sensation seeking without doing what they got into trouble for. Right. Well, and especially, you know, addicts like to be able to um, justify their behavior. Yeah. <laughs> and they also like to identify sobriety in such a way that if I do this, I don't have to report it. But if I do, do this, this, I do. And so for some, it is a way to live in this, this restriction um, and not have to report it to someone. And one of the things that we want people to understand is whether it's a visual expression of pornography or it's auditory or it's um, animated um, or if it's um, written word, it still fires your neurochemistry. You still have some of the same neurochemical reactions to you that you would to something that is visual. And I, I just always go back to, and I know you guys have said this a lot on the podcast, are you doing something sexual that you're keeping a secret? Mm -hmm. Regardless of what the pornography does for your neurochemistry, the secret keeping does that for your neurochemistry mm -hmm. because it creates a sense of I'm doing something taboo. Yeah. I'm doing something that gives me a little thrill because right. no one else knows about it. And I still most nine times out of 10 when I ask clients, well, have you told your wife about that you're looking at anime? Or have you told your recovery group? Have you told your friends? Nobody says, yeah, I go out and tell everybody right, I'm doing yeah. this. And that there is your answer. Mm -hmm. The secret keeping alone also creates that neurochemistry. And then when you combine it with the pornographic sexual nature of either listening to stories or anime or cartoons, it creates a heightened right. you know, sense of sensation-seeking. What, what may also be true is if I'm exposed to erotic literature, I'm reading something, 
then I begin to associate words with sexuality. So if I'm not careful, I start bringing sexuality to stories I'm reading that are not necessarily sexual in nature. I start bringing a sexual context to something. If I'm associating now animation with sexuality, I can be watching animation that doesn't have anything to do with sexuality. Now I'm imposing that on that. And then the same thing with listening. I may be listening to a story that doesn't have any context of sexuality, but I've trained my brain to impose when I hear certain stories, I bring the sexuality to it. And that's one of the things that you and I have talked about in a previous podcast around fetishes um, and paraphilia is that we bring a sexual energy to something and we start making the attachment to it. And so for someone who kind of minimizes this, to says, oh, you know, it's not as bad as this. It's not out of shame that we say this. We simply want to acknowledge that this is a very powerful context that it's important that you pay attention to. Well, anytime you're doing sexualized behaviors that don't fit with your recovery plan, with the man you want to be, you're putting on your sexual glasses. Mm -hmm. And when you put on your sexual glasses, everything in the world (laughs) starts to look sexual. I mean, we've talked about what is the definition of pornography. And when you're wearing those sexual glasses, it can be almost anything because you're associating everything through those lens of, I've got to have that high. I've Mm -hmm. got to have that sensation seeking. I've got to have that thrill. So then you're right. Everything starts to filter through those glasses. And that's the definition of sex addiction. Right, (laughs) Elizabeth, isn't there a danger of, with these animated characters that you say have fully developed physical bodies, but childlike faces? is that potentially a gateway to child pornography? Well, you know, we certainly don't have the research to say that. I will tell you, because the world of, you know, evaluating and helping people who um, have gotten into trouble for child pornographic images and videos, that is certainly a common story. Mm. Now, whether we can say now that it's probably not a gateway for everyone, but for a for some people, I do believe that that starts to just slowly, yeah, just you know, like, oh, disintegrate those boundaries. Yeah. That then you start to get into the deeper layers of the internet. So I think for sure, like someone's watching anime that's not sexualized. You don't have to be in that world very long before you see the right. sexualized piece, and mm-hmm. then you're seeing, you know. Um, People who market child pornography images and videos online know that. So then you start to see maybe something that's like an older adolescent who's Mm -hmm. dressed like a younger, you know, so it's a slow decline. So I wouldn't say that we can say for sure everyone who looks at anime or um, hentai is going to look at child pornography images. But I hear that that path a lot. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly concerning. Mm -hmm. just for my own clarification, you've used two words, anime and hentai. What what is the oh, difference between the two? Or? I should have I should have refreshed my memory <laughs> on that. They well, they're two different styles of drawing, okay. and for the life of me, in this very moment. I'm going to have a hard time distinguishing between the two, but, but, that's they, okay. but they are two different ty- types of um, drawing. Animation. That, animation. 
And there, and I think a lot of times the words are used interchangeably, but there are distinct differences to the style of the drawing that kind of separates right. the two. Well, you know, one of the things that I think is helpful to understand is um, I may love animation. I may be looking at animation websites. There may be nothing sexual about it. The thing I have to be attentive to is there is always the possibility of moving towards something that is sexual if I just have enough interest to start looking for oh, it. yes. And so that's part of the caution. I may be, I may love podcasts. I may go, listen to podcasts all the time. And what we know is you put in the right search terms or you click on the right thing, this thing that was safe and helpful and redemptive, obviously we believe in podcasts, so we're not encouraging people to stop listening to podcasts or watching podcasts. We just want you to understand that if you have a tendency to want to explore and see what else is out there, you're always going to be able to find some sort of sexualized version of this form of something that has been helpful for you. And you know what we do know is that the pornography industry puts a lot of money into marketing. And one of the ways they do that is that they know that if you go to that a lot of people are going to anime sites and so you can advertise there. So it's great that we have technology and the internet and all the wonderful things that offers to us. And it doesn't take too much to start to get you into the world of pornography when you're online. Mm -hmm. and, um, and for most people, a lot of people, you know, they can see that world and just go, yep, no, nope, not no. going there. Yeah. But for a lot of the people we work with that you're really right. struggling. I mean, it is like, you know, saying to your friend who's alcoholic, come have a drink with me at the bar. Now, some people can do okay with that. But there are a lot of people who go, I, you know, who if they walk into the bar and they kind of get that energy around them, they're going to lose their sobriety. Right. So. And there's a there's that acknowledgement of an ongoing vulnerability. You know, one one of the questions that we often get is, if I identify as an addict, will I always be an addict? And maybe a better question is, if I've struggled with addiction, will I always carry a vulnerability? And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Once I've used that as a coping strategy or an addiction or a way to escape, I'm always going to have the sensory memory, even the body memory of what that is like. And so I may have years of sobriety. I may not be looking for anything sexual. And yet, because of the way the internet works and that invitation to the next thing is always possible, if I already have a vulnerability to addiction and then I'm also carrying some level of personal vulnerability in that moment, that's the per perfect equation to bring me to a place that I had no intention of going and then I found myself in. You know, we um, my business partner and I often talk about technology intelligence combined with emotional intelligence. Like you need both of those, that intelligence, to be able to navigate the world of technology, the internet, safely. Mm -hmm. Because without understanding that you can quickly go to other places, without having the emotional intelligence and awareness to realize that you have vulnerabilities and what those are, and do you have a plan for when you encounter that, that's how people get into trouble. Is right. they're not thinking about that clearly, enough are they're thinking oh i'll be fine right. you know i can go look this up <laughs> well, you know what's what's interesting is so let's say that um, i'm in recovery 
I like podcasts. And so the challenge is I Google sex addiction podcast. But the reality is sex is one of the words that is in that search term. And so even in something like that, I have to be so cautious to pay attention to what grabs my interest. And, you know, it, it seems redundant, but even being curious or interested is something that I need to pay attention to and share with my community. Because the pornography industry is putting a lot of money to make sure their Google ad comes up before your Google ad. Right. And they have a lot more money <laughs> to do that. <laughs> yes, they do. You know, they, they have a lot more money, and that is, you know, the full-time job of hundreds of people to make sure that when you Google things, whatever it may be, even things that you have, you would not even imagine, then you're going to get to a porn site. Right. Yeah. Well, so for, you, you kind of alluded to this, but for the person who finds himself drawn towards these, they're, they're very much pornographic and they're outside of the traditional visual pornography. What do you see is the process to navigate this well? How, how do I get out of this space um, and begin to take it seriously? Well, I think you usually can't do it alone. Right. <laughs> so you have to seek help. You have to have a therapist. You need to have a recovery group or a therapy group. You need to talk to someone about it. And then you need to really be intentional about your behavior with technology. Mm. Um, you know, again, um, David Delmonico, who also does some work with Faithful and True, he and I, you know, have some exercises that maybe, I don't know if we could make available to people, maybe somehow. Sure. Maybe put them sure. in the newsletter or something. Yeah, sure. Maybe do something with the newsletter. Because I think often people, you know, this is the world technology, we think, well, you know, it, if I said to you, I'm going to drop you off in the most dangerous city in the world downtown and you just have to figure it out. Like, we don't do that yeah, with right. you, you know, but that's what we do online. We dump people in the really dangerous place and say, oh, you just figure it out right. without understanding what the impact of the psychological features of technology, how that affects us and how it's going to affect our decision making. Right. When So one of the things I would say is, for someone who finds himself exploring, curious, drawn to these things, the best thing is to reject the lies of shame, you know, because shame is going to send us into isolation. There's a reason why I don't tell my group that I listen to podcasts that have a sexual tone or that I'm drawn towards animation. And so the first thing is to be honest about what is going on, even that curiosity piece. You know, one of the things that I think is helpful is if I have the courage to share with my group that I was curious. I saw this link. I saw this name. I even read the name. Maybe I listened to part of the podcast. Sometimes we, we minimize that, and yet it kind of left a residue in us. And the best way to get free from the residue is to share it with our community. To share the secret. Right. Again, you're only as sick as your secrets. And so once you share the secret, then at least, you know, part of the shame dissipates. Right. You can no longer engage in that behavior because now you have more accountability. Right. So definitely sharing the secret. I, th I think another piece is to take it seriously. You know, um, I often talk about this idea that to take it seriously means we're not going to minimize it. And so for the listeners who have been telling themselves, well, it's just animation or it's just written words or I'm just listening to a podcast, 
that they're going to take it seriously. They're not going to minimize it. What it also means is they're not going to catastrophize it. Right. Um, they're not going to get to that place where there's no hope. And that's kind of the way I define um, when we catastrophize. If I don't have any hope, then I'm catastrophizing. And you know, one of the realities is my fear is if I get honest about this, then there may be consequences, you know, um, that maybe my group will be disappointed in me or people won't think I'm doing as well in recovery as I want them to think or maybe my spouse will be mad at me. But the reality is the way forward is by being able to be honest about the things that we are doing, um, not to minimize and say, oh, it's no big deal, not to catastrophize where, oh, I don't have any hope, but I am going to take it seriously because if I take it seriously, I'm going to seek to live differently. And even if you continue to say to yourself, well, I don't think this is that bad, what I would encourage people to do is tell someone, mm -hmm. someone in your group, your therapist, because oftentimes when you're in the middle of engaging in a behavior that is unhealthy, you can't see it. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not your best, you know. You're not your wisest self. You're not your wisest <laughs> self in that moment. And so even if you're not sure, you should check that out with someone and have someone that you really trust help you discern, is this problematic for me or not? Right. And one thing that is true is for those men who do have accountability software, um, Sometimes they know how to dance around the edges oh, so that yes. it's not reportable or it doesn't get reported in the software. And so it's important that you're honest about that too, that I am drawn to these things. I can go to these websites that are seen as safe, but on those websites, I can find audiobooks, I can find podcasts, I can find written words. Um, and so I get a hit of my drug and nobody has to know, know about it. it and I can get away with it. And, and I, I really like that idea that if I'm not willing to talk about it, that probably is revealing what I actually believe about it. Right. <laughs> and so my silence is an indication of my own understanding of what I'm doing. Yes. And so it's important that somebody has the capacity to have a safe community and a safe place to talk about it. I always think that's just the number one question. Have you told anyone about right. it? Right, And yeah. if the answer is no, then it's probably problematic. Right. You know, we've talked about before, we can make anything pornographic. And what is also true is pornography can show up in a variety of different yes. forms, and we need to pay attention to all of them. Okay. Well, thanks, Elizabeth, thanks. for being yeah, with us. Yeah, thanks, Elizabeth, for joining us today. And uh, fascinating uh, subject matter. You know, I, what I was going to ask, a quick question, how long has anime been around it seems like it, it's uh, a, a form of art that started to be seen uh, in the past 10 years, would you say? Or does it go back further than Oh, that? it goes back yeah. a lot further, the art form. Uh -huh. I think um, just as we know about technology, mm -hmm. um, anything that you can put online is going to eventually show up in its sexual form too. Mm -hmm. But anime, and, I'm, and I could be wrong about this, I believe it goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, oh, that okay. art form. Right. But okay. with technology, yeah. we are now having being exposed to it in both good ways, because mm -hmm. there's some great art, this anime, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. sexual yeah. ways too. Yeah. Great. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. We always love having you on with us as a guest. And uh, we'd like to thank all of our listeners and viewers for joining us today on the Faithful and True podcast. Uh, If you are a man that is struggling with unwanted uh, or uncontrollable sexual behaviors and you're looking for help, visit faithfulandtrue.com. Click on the Men's Journey Workshop. Uh, It's uh, an event that we offer every month and uh, we'd love to have you consider registering for that event as well. Until we join you again next week, we wish that uh, this coming week will be a week for you that's filled with many blessings and with great vision.